We're going to take our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go back to Philippians 3. After publishing his general theory of relativity, which completely transformed our understanding of gravity and space-time and became the foundation for modern space exploration. After receiving the Nobel Prize in physics, after making advances in quantum mechanics, statistical physics, and the origins of quantum entanglement. I have to read that because I would never even remember how to say it, let alone know what it is. After his prediction that light rays would bend around the sun during an eclipse, and it was confirmed by astronomers, after becoming an internationally famous scientific luminary, Albert Einstein humbly remarked, the more I learn, the more I realize, I realize how much I don't know. Someone said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And that's what we find here in Philippians chapter 3. He says, verse number 11, verse number 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Perfect does not mean sinless in the Bible. It means a fulfillment of perfect purpose. The reaching of potential. Think about a circle that's completed. A perfect circle means it's achieved its potential. A mature person fulfills their potential. He's talking about, I have not reached perfection, but I follow after. Verse 12. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing. But then he says, verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Okay, time out, Paul. Are you perfect or not? What are you? Well, he said both. I'm perfect in Christ and I'm being perfected. So it's what some theologians call the difference between standing and state. Standing is what I legally am. State is what I, how I am doing in that role. Standing and state. So I could say, I'm on the football team. Okay, what does that mean? It doesn't tell you anything. It just tells you that I'm on the team. I could be riding the pine at the very end. I could be the backup to the backup to the backup. So I'm on the team. Remember when I was a teenager, I loved to play basketball. And uh, people would talk about going down. The kid said to me, he said, I was down going to the park. He said, I was going up for dunks all day. And, I, and I, I thought about that. I thought, you know what? Going up for dunks, I've done that a lot. But very rarely have I ever dunked. See what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, I'm legally this, but it's quite another to state how you're doing in that. 
So I'm legally a husband. So I don't even have to try. Because I've got the paperwork to prove I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm legally a father. You can look at five birth certificates and you'll find my name as the father listed. But that doesn't tell you anything about what kind of a father I am. Paul is saying, in Christ, I am perfect. I'm perfect because I have Christ's righteousness. A lot of people think, how does a person get to heaven? Well, you better do your best. But, but Isaiah told us all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And if you don't want to find out what he means by filthy rags. Have you ever heard of a porta john? There's a connection there. Paul said here in Philippians chapter 3, all of my self-righteousness, I counted them as dung. Okay, so my righteousness, if you're going to get to heaven on how good you are, I have to be better than Jesus Christ because Christ is the standard of righteousness. So you say, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's not because I'm good enough. It's not because I'm trying. Even if I'm trying, how many times do we try and we, we fail to even meet our own standards? So I'm not going to heaven because I have my righteousness. I know I'm going to heaven because Christ has been made unto me righteousness. He gave me his perfect righteousness as a gift. Man, I don't feel, I'm not privileged. I'm privileged. I don't feel like I am worthy of that at all, but I'm grateful to have it. So if God decides to write a check for you that says you can have everything that I have and give it to you, who are you to say, I don't want it? Or who are you to say, who am I to say, I think I can earn that? I'll trade you. What do you have to trade for God's blank check? Nothing. And so when Paul is saying, I am perfect, as many as be perfect, he said, I am in Christ. And because Christ is sinless, I have his sinless righteousness. Literally, as a believer, you cannot do anything that will change your position in Christ. Now, that may shock you, but if it shocks you, that may help you to understand what you are trusting in to get to heaven. So you might say, well, I, I don't think anybody that ever killed somebody could go to heaven. Well, what about the thief on the cross? Hey, what about David? What about Moses? They were murderers, and yet God gave them something they did not earn, and they really knew they didn't earn it. They knew they were not worthy of it. So if you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to know for sure you're going to heaven, you need to be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You didn't make yourself born physically or spiritually. It's God himself that births you. How do you get born again? You trust that Jesus Christ paid it all. He died on the cross and he came back from the dead. I trust that Jesus Christ on the cross paid for my sins and he went down into the grave. He came back out proving that he was innocent of the charges, proving that he had paid for the sins that I committed. And I put my faith in him. And that's how I know I'm going to heaven. It's very simple. But mankind, we all want to come in and we want to say, well, I can add to that. Well, there is a place, there is a place to work at it. There is a place to try. There's a place to press toward the mark. But it's not in order to be God's child. 
It's because you already are God's child. I can't imagine what I would feel if my son were to come up to me or one of my daughters and say, Dad, I just really want to please you so that I can be your child. I would say, what kind of a failure of a father am I? That my kid thinks they have to please me in order to be my child. Listen, he or she is my child regardless of what they do or say. And I'm grateful that God treats me the same way. But now, because they are my children, now there should be a concern about wanting to please me. And so that's why when I look at what Paul is saying here, sometimes we want to go to one extreme or the other. Some people say, well, God loves me just the way I am, and I'm coasting till I get to heaven. Other people think, well, God doesn't really love me until I really start pleasing him, until I buckle down and do what I know I should do, and then God can be happy with me. The truth is, both are present in the life of a mature believer. A person who knows he is accepted in Christ is a person that's going to heaven, a person that's in the family of God. I know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Not because of me, but because of him. But because I'm in his family, now I have a desire to please him. And that's what he's talking about. He says in verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Be thus minded. Notice the word be He said, if you're perfect, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. You can direct your mind. One of the benefits of being born again is that you have the power to direct your mind. Look at he says in in verse number five of chapter two. Verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? I can not let that mind be in me. In fact, the default in my human nature is to not let the mind of Christ be in me. But I have the power now because I'm in Christ and the old nature does not have the power to make me do bad things. It can't make me. But on the, Christ, on the spiritual side, I have the privilege of allowing Christ, his mind, to be in me. You ever just sometimes wish you could have a different brain? You can. He said, we have the mind of Christ. This is his mind on paper, the Bible. And he said, let it be in you. Allow it. Open up your heart. Let me fill every nook and cranny. Not sure what a cranny is. But let it fill every little crack, every crevice in your soul. Let the Bible fill you up. See, that's what he's saying. Be thus minded. So first notice, be thus minded. You have the power to direct your mind to the obedience of Christ. But then notice, be thus minded. What is he talking about? He said, have this kind of mind. Thus minded is referring back to what he was saying earlier. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting, reaching, I press. That's the mind. He said, as many as be perfect, if you're spiritually mature, think this way. If you are spiritually mature, I want you to be thus minded. I want you to think this way. The way he talked about there. What is that? Two parts. I know I'm saved. I'm accepted in Christ. 
Number two, I'm straining every muscle in the quest for Christ-likeness. I am reaching. I'm pressing. You see, what happens is, as believers, we get that out of whack. Before you're saved, you, get, you, 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 you choose the second one. First one is, I know I'm accepted in Christ. The first point to know. The second point is, I'm going to suffer and die for Christ, but if necessary. I'm going to strain every muscle in the quest for Christ-likeness. What happens is, before you come to Christ and know you're saved, people sometimes are straining every muscle in order to get saved. They're pushing, they're pressing in order to get salvation. You can't get it. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't push hard and get salvation. It is a gift. So maybe we might say in the colloquial today, chill out and receive the gift of God. Stop trying to be good. You ain't good. He's good. Receive it now that you are saved. Here's what happens. Christians, they get saved, they know they're accepted, and they forget there is a second part. He said, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. What minded? Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, which are before, not might be before, definitely are before, and press, lean into it. Oh, I just want to coast till I get to heaven. God doesn't want coasting Christians. He wants pressing Christians. Not trying to earn salvation. No. Let me ask you this. If I, were, and I, I always use these uh, examples because a lot of us live in families or we even know people who live in families. I can say this. I'm legally married. I'm a husband. And I wish my wife would just stay off my back. I don't know what else she wants. I, I, don't know what she, I don't know what she wants from me. Stop pushing. Stop asking things like, you know, in your nice way. Could you help me with the, with the garbage? I'm married. I don't have to help you. I don't have to do anything for you. I have a document that says I am married, so stop bossing me around. That's what a lot of Christians act like. I am saved. I know I'm going to heaven. So I wish there would people stop talking about what we can do for God. Why are you pushing me? I just want to bask in his love. Listen, have you been married before? If you have that attitude, you're probably not married anymore. Because there ain't going to be a whole lot of love to bask in if I act that way towards my wife. Listen, there will always be love to bask in in the person of Jesus Christ. But he called us with an holy calling. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's the high calling of God? Last week we saw the high calling of God is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He is going to have every believer look like Jesus Christ when they get to heaven. And he wants all of us now to be willing to go along with what he's doing right now. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. That's why, well, I remember when I used to be excited about Jesus. Aren't you glad that God is gracious to us? He puts up with a lot of nonsense from us. Because there's a whole lot more we could be doing. Not because we want to earn his love. See point number one, you can't earn his love. But if you claim to love God, right? Now, 
I know this is uncomfortable. I know, I know it feels like pushing, 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 pushing. Why can't people just let me chill? Don't you want to please God? I mean, I, you're pleasing somebody. I mean, we all please ourselves. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. The difference between you and I, is that, uh, you and I and God is that we care about ourselves. God cares about us. If we're going to be Christ-like, we're going to have to start caring about him and what he wants. See, someone is not nice to you if they don't tell you what you're supposed to be doing. Sometimes, well, just wait till we get to heaven and let God sort it all out. As your pastor, I, I want to do my best to help you prepare for that day. And, and you ain't dead yet. Sorry to use the, word, the term ain't, but we're from Toledo, aren't we? Blue collar. We got no highfalutin people around here. Listen, God, if God loves you, he loves you for a purpose. And, and he saved you for that purpose to be like Christ. I'm perfectly righteous in Christ, and I'm becoming more Christ-like all the time. In fact, that is an evidence of maturity. Here's a characteristic of maturity. If you're taking notes, this is your first point. First point. Mature believers stay teachable. Mature believers stay teachable. They're curious about what they don't know. They learn new things, and they put effort into it. One of, the, one of the men that I'm impressed with in America, American history, is George Washington Carver. He was born as a slave. His parents got their freedom, and he began working very hard. He began teaching at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. He researched crop rotation, 1897 is when he started. Alternatives to cotton as a cash crop. He, he, he wanted to, uh, cotton was just wearing the soil out and he knew they needed to do some rotation. And so he started researching other things they could plant. In 1915, he discovered a process to create paints and stains from clay and crops like peanuts and sweet potatoes. In 1920, he invented a way to extract starch from sweet potatoes. So they could use this in wood glue and and paper and other industrial applications. In 1921, he created peanut milk as a substitute for dairy. Now, I think he went too far there. 1925, he developed face cream, shampoos, and shaving products using peanut oil. This man did not give up on the peanut. It's not like you and I. 1928, he created wood stains and shoe polish from sweet potatoes. In 1930s, he began to develop these techniques to generate sugar from the roots of sweet potatoes. In 1935, he wrote a book, and he's the guy to write it, How to Grow the Peanut and 105 Ways of Preparing It for Human Consumption. Stop complaining that you don't have food. You got 105 different meals in the peanut. That's what he said. 1937, he testified during a session of Congress on how to use peanuts and sweet potatoes. In in the 1940s, he continued researching crop products, agricultural science. He kept doing that all the way until his death in 1943 at the age of 78. 
Now, I don't know about you. You know what I do with peanuts? I eat them. Interesting. Oh, you know they have another thing they do with peanuts? Peanut butter. Spread that. It's great. That's where I stop. But that's not where George Washington Carver stopped. He kept pressing. Why? Mature people stay teachable. They're curious. People get bored with the walk with the Lord because they're not curious anymore. They stop pressing toward the mark because they've already arrived. The most valuable knowledge often comes after initial mastery. Initial mastery. Someone said there's a simplicity that you can reach. You understand things in a simple mindset. And then you enter into a realm of complexity. But beyond the realm of complexity, there's another realm called simplicity. You see, it's pushing through. It's moving forward. It's staying teachable. The Apostle Paul, after he had met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, after he became the Apostle to the Gentiles, after the Lord revealed to him the mystery of the church, Jew and Gentile, in the same body, hello. Man, that's serious difficulty. The Lord revealed that to Paul. After he had been beaten, after he had been stoned, shipwrecked, stabbed, dehydrated, after he had been robbed, after he had been on the brink of starvation, after he had given up everything for the cause of knowing Jesus Christ, you know what he said? I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, I press toward the mark. He stayed teachable. Take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We find here that there is another person who did this. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. The Son of God himself. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Was Jesus Christ sinless? The scriptures say, yes, he was. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. But he willingly accepted the role of student in order to have the full human experience. If a sinless being was teachable, you and I ought to be teachable. Mature believers stay teachable. That's what it means to be thus-minded. F.B. Meyer wrote, Everything, therefore, that betokens past achievement is accounted but as the stepping stone to still further effort. You say, well, when do we rest? No, you don't understand it. The freedom we have in America was not primarily so that we would sit down in front of our televisions. That was not why the, 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 the American War for Independence was fought. That, that's not why we have even had a war among ourselves in the Civil War. They fought for freedom. For people to do what? To do something with their freedom. Not to waste it. And of course, it's legal to waste it. But I think about the sacrifice that was given. Price that was paid. The price was paid not for me to squander and waste it. 
Christ paid a high price to make you his child. He did not do that so that you could direct your own life. He did it so that you could press toward the mark to be conformed to the image of Christ. Mature believers stay teachable. Look back at Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Let me say secondly, and lastly, how can we stay teachable? He says in verse 15, And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. God wants you to be a mature, a fully developed, a completely blessed Christian. But the man who thinks he's already there is otherwise minded. How do you stay teachable? Here's how you do it. You keep your heart open to God's direction. He says here, God shall reveal. Paul has great trust in the ability of our God to deal with his own people. Look back at chapter two, verse uh, chapter one, verse six. Chapter one, verse six. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He started it. Chapter two, verse thirteen. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He started it. He's doing it now. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 15, God shall reveal even this unto you. Past, present, future, God is the one at work. It's not a matter of you and I coming up with a really cool plan about what we're going to do for God. It's yielding to the Spirit of God that's in us. I have this vision that someday God will make me an amazing... Well, maybe he will. But I can tell you this, if it's God working, it won't be you thinking about how amazing you are, but how amazing he is. He is going to be bringing, because he's the one that started the whole thing and he's working right now. What do I do to be more like Christ? How can, listen to the spirit of God. Mature believers keep their heart open to God's direction. Now here's what happens. Life happens. What does life mean? A lot of junk A lot of good times, a lot of bad times, happy, joyous smiles and sorrows, pain that goes deep. That's life. Mature believers, while going through change, things used to be this way, they're not that way anymore. Going through very difficult, dark times of attack, perhaps by others. Physical attack, your body is infirm, you can't do what you used to do, and you can't get rid of this sickness, this cancer. You're having all this junk happen to you. Mature believers, in the middle of life, that's life, up, down. Life is not plateau where everything's great. No, life is this. Mature believers keep their heart open to God's direction during this. He said, as many as be perfect, be thus-minded. Thus-minded, when is that? Notice Paul is writing from prison. He's not writing from a vacation Airbnb somewhere in a tropical island. He is saying, guys, lock it in in your mind. Think this way. God wants you and I to be, know that we're perfect in Christ, completely accepted, righteous before God, but also to be perfectible, to lean forward. What is God teaching you in this moment? This experience of your, this chapter of your life, what is he teaching you? He said the proper believer or the mature believer will have the proper understanding. And that is this right now, 
God is trying to teach me something and I'm listening. So how will God reveal these areas? If I'm supposed to stay teachable and God shows me, well, how do I know if it's God showing me? Let me give you some very practical ways you can know. God, number one, can speak to you through conscience. Speak to you through your conscience. Listen, there's some things that you don't need to have a a, a great Bible understanding to know that you shouldn't be walking around punching people in the jaws. It's pretty simple. Your conscience knows it shouldn't be doing that. Your conscience knows as you speak those words that they're filthy words and you shouldn't be using them. Your conscience. But you got to be careful because your conscience can become uncalibrated. How many remember there used to be traffic cameras here in Toledo? Now, there may be some. I don't, I don't know where they are. You know, one of the things that people got mad about, irritated about, they would say, when's the last time those machines have been calibrated? They can't be telling me what to do. That's kind of like the conscience. It can tell you sometimes if you're going too fast, but you better make sure it's been calibrated. Because your conscience could be wrong. It needs to be calibrated, verified by the Bible. You may have something in your mind. I know I'm not supposed to do that, not supposed to do that. And that may be your conscience that's not calibrated. But most of the time, your, cal- your conscience, it's working okay. And it's saying, stop doing that. God shall reveal even this unto you. How? He can use your conscience. Number two, he can speak through other Christians. Other Christians can help you. They can call you out. Now that, of course, must be verified. By the word of God. Why? Hey, listen, how do you know if a person is telling you the truth or not? Here's how you know. Did they quote the words of the Bible in context? There's sometimes people say stuff that's not in the Bible. And it sounds super spiritual. That's why you need to be in the word. That's why we encourage you to walk by the word so that you can say something didn't sound right about that. There's something off about that. But God can use people. He can use preachers. He can sometimes use your parents to speak to you, to reveal things to you. He can use other people who are walking by the word that are spirit-filled believers. And he can tell you, hey, stop doing that. If you find yourself pushing back against people who know the Lord and love the Lord, be careful. You're not thus minded. Your mind is not open to God revealing things to you that need to change. What's another one? Well, another one is the convicting work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, you have the Spirit. You don't need to wait till some way down the road where you get this magical second filling of the Holy Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. It is the Spirit of God that births you into the family of God. And he seals you until the day of redemption, Ephesians chapter 4. And so because the Holy Spirit is in you, if you're a child of God, he is going to be working on you. Now, how does, he use, how does he work on you? He uses the Bible that you know to tell you what's true. If you don't know any Bible, he's got nothing to say to you. By the way, if you don't know any Bible, you can't be saved. I mean, you should know the very basics that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He rose again, and I trust his work on the cross to take me to heaven. You know that. You're saved. But how much Bible you know is going to determine how much the Holy Spirit can work in your life. If you refuse to read your Bible, if you stay away from it, he's got nothing to work with. By by the way, that's why if you're not going to read your Bible, you should at very least go to church. 
You ought to be listening to the word. You got to get the word. The Holy Spirit works through the word. He tells you, how do you know if it's true or not? (laughs) It's wonderful. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. So the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict himself. So if it's something that he really said, it'll line up with the Bible. Simple. Which leads us to the fourth way, which is the written word of God. Is God displeased with something in your life? Well, you can find out by reading the Bible. You know, I might wake up in the middle of the night. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and have this impression? You know, what, what if I were to say, you know, I, I think God is, it, it, let's say someone here that has a full head of hair and, 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 and they have this idea that someday they get this impression, maybe God doesn't want my hair blonde. Maybe he wants my hair brown. I just think God spoke to me. Impressed by it. Well, how would a person know for sure whether God wanted his hair brown, blonde, pink, green, just black, yellow, or, you know, kind of a more of a, you know, whatever you'd call this? How do I know? Well, here, here's the thing. Is God concerned about turning my hair from one color to another? Well, I can go in the Bible and I can look and I can say, man, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Maybe God's not too concerned with the color of my hair. You see, sometimes what it is is that we get these impressions and and we have these visions and these ideas and these thoughts that could it be? How would I know for sure? If your authority is some kind of a dream or a vision or impression separate from the Bible, God is not revealing that to you. God is going to reveal through his word. You read his word and the Holy Spirit will say, hey, listen up, big boy. This is about you. He does that to me all the time. That's how God reveals. He brings these things to mind. Now, let me tell you, those are things God can use. He can use your conscience. He can use Holy Spirit, other Christians, the, word, the written word of God. Here's something that God cannot do. There's things that God cannot do. Do you know that? He can't save a sinner that won't trust his son. That's one thing he can't do. He cannot lie. He can't remember sins that he forgave. These are all things that God cannot do. You know something else God can't do? God cannot force you to correct what is lacking in your life. Christian, I'm going to say that again. God cannot and will not force you to be mature. Well, I just believe if God doesn't want me to do it, he'll stop me. Or if God wants me to be that, eventually I'll be that whether I want to be or not. No, it's not true. You know, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But people wake up in hell every day. God's not willing, but it happens. There's got to be a willing mind. That's why he said, be thus minded. You've got to be open for God to change you. See, what happens in our Christian life, we go along, we go along, and then pretty soon we find out, wait just a second, wait a minute. They were talking all this smoke from the pulpit about how God's great and how he's so, but I found out something about a preacher. I got behind the the curtain of the wizard there, and I found out just this man behind the curtain that says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And it was this Christian, supposedly, that said they were doing, they were following God, and they loved God, and they were a hypocrite. I was doing fine. All of a sudden, God dropped the hammer on me. My whole world's upside down. And I, you forget it. Listen, 
If you're not careful, all the junk that's happened in your life is going to keep you from being thus-minded. You know what Paul said? This is what thus-minded means. Forgetting those things which are behind. The things that you lost. The things that you won. Your trophies. The things that you would never tell people in your trophy room that you actually are really proud of. He said, I forget all that junk. He called it junk. That's a nice word. The things that were gain to him. Gain. The things that were in the win column. He forgot it all. And he said, I reach forward. Christian, you need to start right now and say, today is the day I reach forward. Reach forward to what? If you're clinging to the past, hey, listen, God took care of you in the past. Thank God. But where's the prize? Where's the mark that has with it, that comes with the prize for the, of the high calling of God? Where is it? It's not in the past. The prize is in the future. Notice he said, God shall reveal even this unto you. God wants to help us because we're moving, aren't we? Listen, it's not fair, Christian, for you to think, I'm about to die. Are you dead now? You're already thinking about the future, aren't you? Listen, we can live our lives in such a way that we, we contradict ourselves. I don't think there's much more for me to live for. You're still breathing. Hey, God's still giving you a heart that beats. You know what happens? We get tired of living the life that we've lived. We get tired of all the stuff that's accompanied us in the past. And we say, Lord, if this is what's going to be like, I don't think I can go any further. That's why Paul said, hey, I got a great idea for all the stuff that's happened in the past that's really bad. Forget it. Well, you just don't forget something like that. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying it's not, not difficult. It may drain your soul emotionally. It may make you feel vulnerable and weak and naked and powerless before the great storm of life. I'm sure that you feel that way. I've felt that way. I'm sure Paul felt that way. But you know what you can do with all that stuff? You can forget it. Forget it. I think that may be the message for us this morning. In order for us to stay open to the, the correction of God, the revelation of God to our hearts, we've got to forget the past and we've got to reach forward. And Paul said, hey, if you're perfect in Christ, if you're saved and you know it, be thus minded. Be thus minded. I want you to take your Bibles one final place this morning. Philippians, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 40 in Philippians in Philippians, he said, let this mind be in you. Isaiah chapter 50. I said 40, I think. Isaiah chapter 50. And look at verse 4. He's speaking of Messiah, the coming Son of God. The Lord God, Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He, he wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Who is this? This is Jesus. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters 
and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That was spoken of Jesus Christ as he set his face like a flint to go toward Jerusalem. I know I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I know it's going to hurt more than anything I've ever felt before. But I am being taught by God. My ear is open to the teacher. What are you saying to me, God? I'm yielded to it. And I will walk into the gale. I'll walk into the storm. I'll say, Lord, you're my God because I know that you've guided me to this point. And I know that when I get on the other side of that, I shall not be ashamed. Christian, God has a place for you right now in the storm. Yield your heart to the Lord. Yield to the change. You see, it's not the storm in other people's lives that bother us. It's the storm in our own life that we can't figure out. We say, God, if it was really you, why is it this? Why would you allow this? Why would you stop asking why? And look up and say, yes, Lord, I will not be rebellious. And listen, if the son of God who never sinned, who never dishonored his father could look up and say, though I have pleased you in every way, you're sending me into the storm. I will not be rebellious, God. Father, I will follow you to the end of my life and beyond because I know that when I get past that storm, I shall not be ashamed. Christian, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you. Be thus minded. Thus minded. What's that? When school opens tomorrow, say present. Stop writing on your desk Stop stop carving with your knife. Stop staring at the clock. Stop disappearing in your mind to some enchanted place somewhere. And look at the teacher and say, present. I am here, Lord, and I'm listening. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God did not bring you to this thing to kill you and destroy you and bring an end to your existence. He brought you to it to bring you through it. The question is, when you get to the other end of it, you're going to have to go through it anyhow. What will you have learned? God didn't bring you here to stop learning. He made you perfect in Christ. And now he wants to take you to the next lesson. Be thus minded.